Are you ready to do this, buddy? Let's do it. I don't know if this is working. I have no idea if the intro worked or not. So I don't think anybody's connected right now. But uh, yeah, man. So today uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, spawning season. What me and Caleb Conrad have found out about spawning here in Texas. Um, for those that are tuning in now, uh, remember you're listening to the Bass Kayak and Beers podcast. This is the real life with your host Armando and today Caleb is joining me uh remember if you are watching on YouTube or watching on Facebook feel free to share comment let us know where you're watching from also if you are listening on our mp3 format uh on the recording whether it's uh Spotify Apple Podcasts Google Play Amazon Music we really appreciate it if you can give us your five star reviews it does help out with the growth of the podcast so anyways, so Caleb and I are going to be talking about spawning here in Texas. Caleb uh, used to work for Douglas Rods, the company that I partnered with for Rods. So Caleb, thank you so much for coming here, man, and hopping on the show. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. How's uh, how's life in Texas treating you? I knew I know you moved from upstate New York to Texas uh, a few weeks ago, almost a month ago, maybe some more. How, uh, how do you like in Texas bass here? It's been about a three months now i think it was like early november when i first moved down here but dude i love it down here i mean people are, are so nice food's great fishing's great uh weather's great i mean i have no complaints whatsoever um i've really been enjoying my time down here so far and and it's a lot different you know the fishing down here is is way different than back home in new york and so all the experience i've been able to uh to gain just in the three months i've been here already has been super valuable and and uh yeah i'm loving it Catching new PBs here in Texas compared to upstate New York? Yeah, the, we're, we're slowly getting bigger and bigger. I'm still searching for that true giant, you know, that double digit. But uh, we're, my my biggest large mouth is now tied for my biggest small mouth. So I got that going for me. Yeah, you're not going to get the small mouth that you get used to in upstate New York. I'll tell you that right now. Yeah, for, for a while there, my uh, biggest small mouth was for like, like three years. My biggest small mouth was bigger than my biggest large mouth. Really? Yeah. You see, that's the it's a give and take. You know, we I I wouldn't take trade Texas bass, but I mean upstate New York and some of the areas over there where you have those Susquehanna River, where you have those big brute smallmouth bass that fight like crazy, then that's that, that's a very tempting trade. <laughs> yeah, but, sure. but you guys have spotted bass down here, which are uh they're they're kind of pretty similar in my opinion to smallmouth i mean the way they the way they act and the way they fight they, they might not get quite as big as a smallmouth up there but their their habits are, are pretty similar i would say yeah there is that's, that's a good thing about texas you know it has a wide range of bass here that yeah, sure. uh, we, we enjoy fishing but anyways let's let's get, dive into this you and i have been really working hard uh, sometimes we go on your boat together. Sometimes I'll be on my kayak. Sometimes you'll be on your boat. But we, we're really working hard on trying to get better at what we call pre-spawning and spawning here in Texas. And I know it's probably very different from New York, in upstate New York especially. I'm sure we're further along the pre-spawn and spawning time than you are in New York. Usually what time, in, by when do you in New York start to get those 
spawning bass. Yeah, it's the pre-spawn in New York is is probably I would say my favorite time to fish up there, and and it's a lot a lot different than it is down here for sure. Like right now in New York, there's still ice on all the lakes most likely, and I would say the biggest difference right off the bat is as soon as the ice gets off the lake, even when that water is still cold in upstate New York, like those big bass, they get up shallow quickly. Like even when the water is still in the mid to high 40s, those a lot of those big females are already pushing shallow, whereas down here from what i've seen already in the last few weeks these florida strain largemouth that water's really got to get up there for them to want to think about go, going shallow and um we'll i'm sure we'll talk a little bit about our experience on ray roberts you know what was that last week or two weeks ago yeah and when i want when we launched the boat and i saw the water temperature was still 48 and a half 49 i knew right off the bat like we were <laughs> it was going to be a tough day and we weren't going to catch them shallow because from what i've been seeing down here is the Florida strain largemouth until that water gets into like the mid 50th range. They're not like you might get one stray one here or there, but the, the, the vast majority of those fish are still going to be out deep in their winter holes. Definitely. Yeah. And in, and it's it's one of those things like you mentioned, you might get a nice one here and there, uh, but it's hard to put like a, a good string of bass when it's that cold here in Texas. Let's talk a little bit about the spree pre-spawn and we can go back and forth about what we found on spree pre-spawn. Your experience fishing Ray Roberts and whatever other lakes that you fished. Th this pre-spawn was really short this year. It was almost no existence. Right now we are in the midst most lakes, not all lakes. And we'll talk about the differences in lake, but a lot of lakes right now are already into full spawning season. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, I think it really varies uh, depending on what lake you go to and, and even a couple hours away, like where I, where I mainly fish Lake Ray Roberts, uh, based off what I'm seeing and what I've read online, it's one of the last lakes in Texas to where the fish spawn just because it's so big and so far north, it takes a while for the water to warm up. And those fish up uh, on Ray Roberts right now, from what I've seen, are there hardly any of them are even shallow yet. I mean, the pre-spawn has even hardly started out there. But, I mean, you and I, we took a trip down to Fairfield this past weekend before it closed. And down there, it's a completely different story. It, it almost seems like uh, like peak spawn on that lake, you know, where, and the water temp is a lot higher. It was already 60, 61 by, by Monday out there, which is kind of like that prime temp, it seems, down here when those fish start thinking about really getting up there. Um, so I think it really varies based off what lake you're on. I think a lot of the bigger lakes are still, the pre-spawn hasn't even hit yet. I think some of these smaller lakes that are a little bit further south. Um, they're, they're getting right into that peak of the spawn right now. So I, I think it's just, it just varies like crazy. Yeah, I agree. And one of the things that um, we notice in the difference in lake, for example, I was fishing, you were fishing Ray Roberts, you and I fished Ray Roberts one time. Um, and I was fishing also Lake Belton which is, it's an interesting lake. It's There's quite a few lakes that are similar here in Texas. Whitney Lake comes to mind. But it's one of those lakes where it's really rocky. It's kind of like a canyon, right? It, it goes deep. It's like 50, 60, some places get up to 100 feet. And then you see all this limestone rocks everywhere. And you just, there's really very few places where there's any grass in it. In my experience on especially fishing over uh, the last two weeks in Belton is on the pre-spawn. You can see them moving up from the main lake into those finger creeks, not all the way to the back, 
but they were starting to move. And now the temperature was somewhere in the 58 to 62. That's temperature range that, that I found into those creek arms. And where I found them and where I caught them was, it was really interesting. It was three major areas and all three major areas lead you to believe there's, it's like staging areas for spawning bass. One of them, for example, was a secondary point leading into a little cove slash creek. And you can see them and you can cast them on like the points, especially where there was timber at. You know, if you see a point and at that point you see standing timber, it's, if especially it's a secondary point at this time of the pre-spawn, that's money. Yeah. So that's mostly when I caught them. I also caught them at the main creek channel on standing timber. And that was that was more like the ones that I'm assuming are going to be further along the lines of spawning. Those are probably the last ones are going to spawn. And then the ones, the the other area where I found them was brush piles and standing timber up in five feet flats. And to me, those are the ones that are going to start spawning first. So those are the three major areas where I found them. I found them in other spots, but those where I caught the majority of it. And and you can see the difference in in where they're, you know, where they're staging and the faces at where they're spawning because they're not going to all spawn at the same time. Some of them are going to be closer. They're going to spawn first and the other ones. And then, you know, God knows how many groups. But it, it was very interesting to see at that lake, at that temperature, where they were at, you know, offshore points, secondary points, uh, main creek channels, and then flats along the uh, creek where they would spawn. And then we go to Fairfield, which is a completely different lake. Um, and that was same temperature, somewhere in the 58 to 62s. And the water level is, I mean, the that lake is a lot uh, shallower compared to Belton Lake. And there's no rock formations. There's no rocky shores. It's just grass, and that's it. And a little bit of standing timber on the south. And in that lake, there were just full-blown spawn. Like most of the, and I was amazed. February 27th, we went, this is the last day before they closed Fairfield. And they were already spawning. The vast majority of the bass, like they were spawning beds everywhere. You even caught, what, a, was it like a four or five pounder that already dropped their eggs? Yeah, I, I caught a, uh, <clears throat> I caught a five pounder that already dropped its eggs and a seven pounder that already dropped, it, dropped its eggs as well. I caught a couple good ones. Um, yeah, I think, honestly, I think the biggest misconception that people have when, uh, when they, you know, analyze the spawn is that all fish spawn at once. And I think the spawn is, is a very drawn out long process, no matter where you are in the country. So to us, like we saw these beds all over the place and like, we're calling it peak spawn, but I mean, that lake could just be so freaking loaded with fish. That could have just been the first wave of fish that were pulling up. And even though there's beds everywhere, um, it, to us, it was like, Oh, it's peak spawn, but that might've just been the very, very beginning of it. You know I mean? Um, kind of one thing I noticed was the very last hour of our of our second day out there, um, we ended up finding some pre-spawn fish there right at the end that that were still in the creek channel staging to go up, you know, and, and I'm sure there's still some pre-spawners that are sitting out there in 25 foot of water right now, too. So um, no matter, you know, what time what time of year it is, especially when it's this early, you're always going to have fish in all three stages. So especially during the spawn, I think when you go out, you kind of have to keep an open mind and let the fish tell you like when I went there 
the first day, I thought it was going to be all pre-spy and think there was going to be a single one on beds. And then as my day progressed and I kept, you know, putting the pieces of the puzzle together, it wasn't until like one o'clock when I realized that like these fish I was catching shallow were spawning fish. And that was because the sun came up and I was able to actually see them. And I realized that a lot of these bites I was getting shallow were, were fish that were spawning. So then I was able to go like cue in on that a little bit. I can't hear you for some oh, reason. My bad. Oh, there it is. <laughs> so one of the things that I think, like you mentioned, the biggest misconception is this is something that I've learned myself as I've grown into, you know, my abilities to, to catch bass. And is that just because they're spawning bass doesn't mean that's the only way you're going to catch them. Like yeah. Fairfield was a perfect example. You know, we were in the morning looking for those spawning bass. We found, we found them. We caught them. We had a great morning. Well, I had a great morning. You had a so-so morning, but <laughs> no, but we, 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 we really concentrated on those spawning bass because there were so many bets. But as the day wore on and those bass were getting hammered because like we were talking about you and I at the lake, that Fairfield was raped and pillaged that weekend. I mean, people were just catching bass, which by the way, it's illegal, putting them live well and taking them to their home lake and we were it was funny because i caught a six and a half pounder right in front of another boat very nice gentleman and he actually asked me if he could keep the bass so he can take it to richland chambers because he's a, 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 a fishing guide there and he wants those prized bass at his lake because it helps them especially if he remembers where he released them by the way if anybody's listening watching thinking of that that is actually illegal here in texas I mean, certainly anybody's going to find out what you're doing, but you could get in trouble for moving fish from one lake to another from what I understand. Yeah, but the point about it is sure, like... I'm pretty sure it's illegal in, in almost every state, yeah. but it's just it's one of those specific uh, scenarios where I don't, I don't think the uh, the state police were caring about or the conservation officers because they kind of were... They kind of understand, like, they kind of, I think, side with the fishermen in this scenario Yeah, in a way. But obviously, I mean, you don't want to spread diseases around, but it was, uh, it was funny because the big one I caught, <laughs> it was a boat too that... He said the same thing. He was like, "Man, why'd you throw that back?" <laughs> and uh, for me, man, when I'm when I'm fishing for bedding fish, I'm treating them with the most respect I can. And I'm I'm like my picture I put up is it's terrible because I was I just want to get that fish back. I was by myself. I'm not gonna sit here and and keep it out of the water for five minutes to make sure I get a picture get a good picture for Instagram because I just don't care about that. I care about even though the lake's closing, I'd rather see that big female go back, get on her nest, protect her. You know, that's that's one of the biggest fish in the lake. You want to make sure her 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 um you know, her, her babies grow up and also become good, big fish. Yeah. I I've always thought, and we were talking about this, the day we're at the, that day in Fairfield, whether it's a tournament or for social media content, I don't want a bass to die on my watch because I took too long taking pictures and posting. It's not worth it. Yeah. I don't care how many likes you get, you know, you get it. You, I mean, if you can tether them and keep them alive and, you know, give them a second, then take them back and, take more pictures if you want but even then you know you try to put those fish back especially on bedding if they're spawning just put them back as soon as you can i get we, we want the pictures we want the hero shots we want the videos we want the reels the stories on instagram but when you're done just make sure you get that fish back in the water you don't want to we don't want blood money here <laughs> but one of the things that um the going back uh to that scenario is once we got them on, once we figured out, okay, this bedding bass have been hit with a three-quarter ounce weight 
for the last two or three days. <laughs> Let's, let, and they're not biting anymore. We actually shift to looking for uh, pre-spawners. And then we move into coves where the, you can see that we're, you know, on grass and further out of the, uh, of the bedding area. So, and we had great success with that too. So that's one thing. If, if you're new to this and bass fishing, just because you're targeting spawning bass, if that's not working out, don't think the other bass are not going to, not going to be eating as well. You can still find them, especially on a lake like Fairfield with the high population of bass. Yeah. Yeah. And a, and a quick side note on that, uh, people that think about life scope is ruining the sport. I spent a lot of time in two days looking at bass that would follow my bait, literally touch it with their nose or or act like they're going to eat it and then turn around 360 and not eat it. I did catch some on it, but it's not like some secret tool that's just going to, you're going to put on your boat and magically you're going to catch all these fish. Yes, it's a very valuable tool and there's a lot of guys out there that are showing how valuable it can be, but you got to put the time in to learn it and it's not a guarantee and you can waste a lot of time too. I learned that at Fairfield where you're looking at these fish and you seeing them all day you could see 104 pounders that come up and look at your bait but if not one eats it then you didn't catch any of them so it can uh it can lead you astray too that's a good point because that that turned out to be fool's gold in a way because remember you were we were trying to catch them with the jerk bait we saw them following the jerk bait we saw them nosing it but they just wouldn't bite it and then we figured, okay, would you just have to change the cadence, change the color? And we kept trying, and we spent a good three hours doing yeah. that. And then we gave up on it, and then we just started throwing Senkos and and Texas worm, and and Texas rig creatures. And all of a sudden, we were starting catching, catching a ton of bass. We caught you caught like three bass in the last 15, 20 minutes while we were there. Yeah. And it, it it that's a good point that you're saying. It, it could really ruin your day if you are all of a sudden just locked in on what you're seeing on live scope. Well, all this bass are just dying for you to put a Senko in front of them to tore it up. And you're just like, Oh no, I want to catch him on live scope. So there is, you know, technology can serve in a way, but it also can cost you money on a tournament. If you were just kind of like unwilling to change. And that kind of happened to both of us at Fairfield. We're just like, no, let's Nosing it, we just we just gotta make one little adjustment, and, we, and we'll get on him. And that adjustment never came. You know, as much yeah. as we tried, then come to think of it, the only thing we ha just had to ditch the lives going fish with our instinct, and all of a sudden we started catching them. Another thing that I noticed on spawning that I've never noticed before, and it, I'll pick on some of the cues that I found, and you can pick up on some of the ones that you found. But one of them that really uh, caught my eye. First of all, spawning bass on reeds, they only, from what we saw, they were only spawning on the green reeds. Like we were up north on Furfield, where close to the dam, those coves that are full of reeds. And you can see beds, like hundreds, thousands of beds everywhere. Like every three feet, you'd see a bed. And then we went south when the water was a little bit more murkier and the reeds were just, for whatever reason, were just completely brown. You know, they were not rich and lush, like on the north end, they were not green, they were not healthy. They were still in that winter phase where they're just trying to survive winter. And we didn't see a single bass spawning in those areas. And I thought that was interesting. I thought like, okay, check mark. This is something that I've now learned. If I'm looking for spawning bass, look for the reeds that look the healthiest, the ones that are emerging in their spring 
season instead of the ones that are still trying to hang on to make it through the winter. Yeah, and we talked a little bit about that. And I think there's probably a couple different reasons for that that uh, are not necessarily because of the reeds themselves, but because of some other factors that cause the reeds to be alive or not. Uh, for one thing is the water temperature. I think obviously the reeds that were you know more green, lush, and alive, the water was a little bit warmer up there. And, and we, we found that obviously that the water was like in that 60 to 61 range uh, by the second day up there where we were catching all those spawning fish. And then down at the other end, it was still kind of hanging on in that 58, 59 degree range where they were all dead. And then the other aspect of that too is if there's uh, dead reeds, I mean, that's probably going to suck some of the oxygen out of the water. And if, if I was a bass, I wouldn't want to spawn in water that had no oxygen. You know, I don't think that would be a very good habitat for them to lay their eggs as opposed to nice lush green uh, vegetation that might actually be putting oxygen into the water. Yeah, that's a good point. You picked up on other cues as well, and uh, and I want you to talk about them. One was the difference between how you would find spawning bass in in like upstate New York to where you found them here. You want to touch yeah. on that a little bit? Yeah, I'm definitely not an expert on the spawn down here yet because, you know, this is my first time ever fishing a spawn uh, down here in Texas or really in the south in general. Uh, the further south I've ever fished for spawning bass until this year was like the Potomac River, I would say. And uh, in the north, usually for largemouth, uh, they like to spawn like on something, like on a piece of structure. Like they, if there's like a, a log or a lay down, something like that, or a dock, that's typically where they like to spawn in uh, upstate New York. And, and they definitely like hard bottom too, like a good sandy bottom, good, um, you know, a little bit of rock even mixed in with the sand. That's, that's usually where you're going to find largemouth up there. But I think the structure is kind of the, the key. Whereas down here from at least what I saw in Fairfield, I mean, they were just spawning on uh, on the reeds almost exclusively. And it didn't matter if there was like you'd see a, a perfect like stump right there next to the reeds from the spawn on. And they, there'd be no bed there. Instead, there'd be a, a bed just randomly, you know, next to the reeds with no cover. And that was one thing that was definitely way different that I wasn't used to. Um, I mean, we even tried fishing a bunch of stumps mainly in the south end so maybe maybe they do spawn on those stumps and we were just we just hit it too early i I, you know, I don't really know but we didn't find a single fish spawning on any of those stumps and if i was back in new york you know i would have thought that uh they'd be on the stumps and not necessarily on the reeds so yeah and that's a, a good information nugget right there because of course if you're talking about some lake like belton like i was talking about earlier I, when i went to fish there there's really no grass there very few spots. Travis Lakes, Lake similar the similar to Belton. Um, Lake Whitney, Lake very similar to Belton. Now those lakes don't have grass, so obviously they're gonna spawn wherever there's laydowns and stumps. That's different. But when there is the option of bass on grassy lakes and reeds and stumps, it seems like at least in Texas, from what I've learned, and I'm not an expert is they prefer those grass patches, you know, those, those pockets of, of, you know, of, uh, you see that white rock on the bottom and, and then right hugging up the reeds, which is a little bit harder to fish. Cause now you really have to fl flip it without making too much noise right on top of them. Cause you can't cast past them cause they're right up hugging the reeds. And generally if you throw them right on top of the beds, they'll spook. That's where usually a weightless senko comes in handy because you just flip it right there. It's not going to make a lot of noise 
and smack, you can smack, smack them right there. But that's that's an interesting point. I didn't know that that in New York they were more like looking for stumps rather than grass. Here in Texas, they look for grass and reeds more than they look for stumps. Yeah. And it kind of makes sense if you think about it. If, if they're protected by reeds, they're a little bit better protected because now they're surrounded pretty much on one side, like only half, you know, only 50% of their beds are exposed to predators or, or anything, you know, or the, the outside versus if you're on a, on a trunk, you know, you only, you know, like 15, 20% of that bed is actually protected by this, that trunk. So kind of makes sense that they will look for reeds more than trunks, but I thought that was really interesting as well. What other things that you, seen um, on spawning here that you noticed yeah, that caught your eye one thing i'll say that is that's actually a similarity to uh pretty much spawning fish i've seen anywhere in the country like back back home in northeast and down here is while we did see a majority like almost all the fish shallow there were none of the big big ones were up there like it it's the same thing back home like if the biggest ones the big females like the the five plus pounders you know the sevens the eights the nines I, in my opinion, they like to spawn deeper. And, and that's like the one seven I did catch off the bed. She was off the bank. She, I don't know exactly if she was on anything. All I, I was fishing, I was catching all these, you know, two to four pounders up shallow. And I looked, I looked down right next to the boat. My boat was sitting in about eight feet of water. And I saw just a tiny little white patch. And I was like, that's a bed right there. And flipped to it and she bit. And it's the same thing in New York. And especially with smallmouth too in New York, the big, big fat female smallmouth they're they always are in deeper water like it's just like they're smarter they know they know if they go like super shallow number one they're gonna get targeted by fishermen and i have a feeling it's evolutionary where like they know that yeah. like, a bird or something could potentially you know come after them or, or come after their young and so i think that evolutionary like there's something in them that tells those like super trophy class fish to spawn deeper so that was one thing um i saw i don't know if you have anything to say about that no, that, that's a good point. And, and it applies to, when you think about it, it applies to all kinds of creatures, right? Even humans, like a young toddler is more, what is it, more conditioned to venture out and get himself run into traffic or, yeah. you know, or, or put himself in harm's way or go pet a dog, a straight dog, <laughs> um, you know, cause him harm versus a grown human that's going to be more cautious about it. And when you think about those trophy bass that are like, you know, five, I mean, uh, nine, 10 and plus pounds. I mean, if they're that big, it's because they live 15, 20 years, however long yeah. they live. Yeah, they didn't right. get to that point by being dumb. Mm-hmm. You know, oftentimes you'll see, you know, uh, uh, adolescent bass is more willing to attack. They got the energy. They got the inexperience against them and they're more willing to try out, um, you know, hitting that jackhammer that's you know buzzing in front of him where a bigger bass a moves slower b it doesn't have the same energy as a smaller bass and c it has more experience yeah, you kind of know it's 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 kind of figure out when and when to when and where to attack and when and where to just lock lock in and not you know not get caught i yeah. mean that's why they made it so far yeah, and, and the other thing I noticed, too, that it, this is kind of a little bit of a juicy piece of information that, I mean, I'm, I'm sure some people know about, but maybe not everyone knows about, is from what I've seen in the Northeast, anywhere from, you know, like Onondaga Lake, where I used to fish a ton back in New York, to uh, the Potomac River, 
to down here, I saw it on Fairfield as well, is most of the times, whatever your predominant, like, nasty, strong wind, there's almost always, like, a certain wind that is the predominant. Like, whenever the wind blows really hard, it's usually going to come from that direction. And down here in Texas, uh, it seems like it's usually that southwest-west. It, yep. it seems like almost everywhere that's pretty – like, this weather seems to want to move across the U.S. from west to east. So you yep. get that west-southwest wind. Um, the bass, the big bass, especially are going to be protected from that wind because they know and large, like smallmouth are different. Smallmouth, they actually, they actually kind of like current. They don't mind current on their beds. So they're not necessarily always going to be protected from the wind because they actually don't mind that current, but large mouth typically don't like current, especially when they're spawning. And that strong wind is going to create current. It's going to create, you know, turbid water. It's going to stir up the bottom, potentially mess up their, their bed. So I, and I saw on Fairfield, once I, once I kind of keyed in onto that, I was like calling my shots. Like on the first day, I figured out they're spawning. Then I realized, oh, these bass are spawning in these pockets on the south, southwest side of the pockets. Like, again, it's not going to be every single fish. You're going to have a couple stray ones that are going to be on the other side. You know, those are probably going to be the dumb ones, honestly. But uh, um, once I figured that out, I was able to run these pockets. And literally, I would just, I would be like, yep, there's going to be fish here. And I'd see one, catch it, you know, run to the next pocket. Yep, see one, catch it. it it's it's something I've seen all over the country. And another thing that I I'm no, that I've heard now I can't speak to the truth of this because I've, I mean it takes years for you to kind of experience and do the research on this, but I've heard a lot of times in you know in podcasts and in fishing shows where they have somebody kind of talking about you know a certain topic. One of the things that I learned going to a boat show here in Fort Worth. They had this guy that he was talking about. I forgot his name. Uh, one of the fish used to fish the elites, but he mentioned something that I've never heard before. And again, I can't speak to the truth of it, but coming from a person that's actually fished in major events. Um, one of the things he mentioned, if you find like most reservoirs are going to have holding ponds. And for those that don't know, are not familiar, maybe you're new to the sport. For those of you that done this for years so excuse me, kind of mansplaining this. Um, you probably know this, but if there's anybody listening or watching that is not that familiar with how this bass fishing works, this information may be for you. So whenever they, you know, you have this man-made lakes, right? They dam the place and then the water flow starts coming in, coming in until eventually it reaches its peak level. You know, that's their pool level. Meanwhile, along the sides, you're going to have this, holding ponds, right? This pond said when the water gets to that level, it's going to be underwater. But for the most part, um, at until that time comes, they're going to be used to put bass there and have them holding there versus just loading, you know. It's kind of like a, a, a great way to load up a, a, uh, a lake, a man-made lake, kind of like organically just have them at those various ponds along the edges and eventually the water level get up and they'll come in and out going back to to that a lot of bass and I, again i don't know the the complete truth on this but i've heard bass are similar to like say salmon where they migrate and then go back to their original uh birthplace And I've heard that bass continually, generation after generation, will go to wherever their ancestors spawned. Again, I'm not completely sure about that, but that's what I heard kind of makes sense 
considering that other fishing species do the same thing. So when you see these holding ponds on, and you can see them like on Google Maps, you can kind of figure out when you see this perfect circle, kind of like at the edge of a lake, you kind of figure out, okay, this was a holding pond. And sometimes you can, sometimes you're completely underwater and you can see the edges while you, you know, using your side scan. But if you find those pockets, a lot of times, and I noticed on Fairfield, there were some, perfectly rounded pockets. And I thought this was probably a holding pond. And that's where we found a lot of the bass that were spawning. And it makes sense because if that water level took like a year or so to get to where it is now, during that time, bass were spawning at that holding pond. So wherever they spawn, that first generation spawn, next generation is going to keep going back to that spot. And that's another interesting spot. So if you're fishing a lake and you know where there was a holding pond, Start there because they might be just there. And if there was a big bass, it's going to be, you know, that genetic of, you know, the great, great grandpa bass, which, uh, you know, a 24 incher, then, you know, those fry are going to have that same genetic. Yeah. Have, yeah. have you heard of that? And have you ever experienced something like that? Yeah, I've, I've definitely, uh, I've definitely heard of, of fish going back to the uh, areas they spawn from. And, and actually my degrees in uh, aquatic and fishery science. So I, I have a little nice. bit of a, uh, fisheries background and I, I was working for the working for the usgs um in upstate new york and they were studying like whitefish and uh salmon they were studying um like what chemicals they cue in on that that because they they found that that is the fact that they will go back to the the exact creek that they you know had initially hatched from and they wanted to figure out why and they were looking at iodine iodine and a couple other chemicals that they thought where they were imprinting on basically that was causing them to go back to those areas. And I've definitely, in my opinion, seen it with smallmouth on the St. Lawrence river where I think I've caught the same smallmouth like twice, like, you know, a year later in the same, like the exact same spot that that fish bedded the year before. I personally think I've seen that happen up there um, with largemouth. I don't, I don't know if I've seen it as much, but I also haven't spawned fish for largemouth as much as, um, as smallmouth, honestly. And, uh, but I think there's a lot of truth, a lot of truth to that. And then as far as the holding pond thing, um, I've heard, heard a lot of people say that fishing ponds is good down here. Um, I don't know if, if always those ponds were initially built like to stock the lakes necessarily. Like I think a lot of these uh, lakes down here were created due to, you know, dams being built. And so all these large areas were flooded. So I think part of it too is, um, you know, there was, there was old farm ponds that used to just be, Part of these part of these farmers land yep. that they had stocked with bass and then once they got flooded over um those bass then got released into the lake but like you said because they want to go back to you know where they were initially hatched from that causes them to keep going back to these ponds year after year to spawn because you know that's where they initially were born from so it's probably a little bit of both you know some of them were probably put there on purpose and then um, some of them just so happen to be someone's backyard pond you know that ended up becoming part of lake Rear roberts when they built the dam and these fish are going back, you know, year after year to spawn there. Yeah, I'd seen, like, I know, like, Lake Grapevine, Lake nearby where I live. I, just, I, I know a couple of spots where you can tell that that was a holding pond way before yeah. the lake got to that level. And, yes, I mean, I've, I haven't fished for spawning bass in Lake Grapevine because I don't go to that lake that much. It's a tough lake to fish. But you can definitely see, and I would definitely try to see, kind of experiment with that to see if you can. But, again, that's something that takes time, you know, just because you – found a bass there doesn't mean 
anything just other than it's spawning. And if you find it next year or in two and three years from now, then you get a clue of like, oh yeah, they do go back. Yeah. But again, that's not something that you're gonna learn overnight. Uh yeah, it'll yeah. take decades to really uh perfect that aspect yeah. of it. And and I, I think sometimes they use those ponds as staging areas too. Like I've uh I mean I've heard of I haven't really experienced it yet. I've I haven't been down here that long, obviously, but I've heard from a lot of people that on some of these bigger lakes they'll use these ponds because they're nice, like, you know, they nice divots in the lake, basically it's, it's somewhere they can just kind of tuck down into a lot of times they hold bait. So there's food source for them. And as these fish are moving into the backs of creeks, you know, they might make a little stop there, eat, eat a little bit of shatter or whatever baits in there, you know, until they decide to pull up onto the spawning flat. And the other thing about these ponds is most of these ponds have dams as well. Um, you know, from when they were initially built and some, sometimes those dams will have good rock on it and whenever you're fishing free spawn bass especially back in the northeast too largemouth smallmouth they're always going to look for that rock because rock holds warm so when you're the water temperature is still a little bit colder and you're getting these nice you know hot sunny days those areas uh that have the rock that's you know especially shallow rock it's just going to hold warmth better and it's going to hold crawfish it's going to hold bait and it's that's always something good to look for when you're looking for free spawn fish Definitely. I want to talk a little bit about the myth of spawning. And I wanted to start off with one specifically, and, and I'll get your, your feedback on this. I do believe lunar phase has some relevance into bass feeding. We see it, you know, I used to live in Puerto Rico and I used to saltwater fish, and we see it in saltwater. Um, I'm sure you'll see it in freshwater where, you know, if you have a, a, uh, I'm sorry, a full moon, brighter uh, night, you're going to have bass that are going to be up feeding all day and are going to be more prone to feeding. One of the things that I think is, I want to say overrated, but blown out of proportion is how lunar phase translate to spawning bass. And I, in my opinion, I think it has little to no relevance at all. And I could be wrong, but I really don't see a connection with lunar phase and spawning bass. I really don't. I see a connection with lunar phase and feeding bass. When we're talking about spawning, in my opinion, a bass is going to spawn when it has sustained temperatures for a few days of like, you know, that 60 to 65 degrees. Whatever the the moon is doing at that time, it does not matter. It could be full moon. It could be a new moon. If the water temperature is right and it's been holding there for two or three days or more, bass are going to be spawning. And we saw it on Fairfield this weekend. We were shocked to see that in February 27th, there were so many spawning bass. And it was a new moon. There was no moon, in other words. It was, we were the farthest we could be from a full moon on either side. And they were still spawning. Like, again, we can't say it's the vast majority of it because we don't know how many bass are in that lake. But what we can definitely say is there were hundreds of bed littering out there, the north side of the lake. What's your opinion on it? Do you really believe Lunar Phrase has any influence on spawning bass? Yeah, I I would say I agree and I disagree with you at the same time. Uh, as far as the lunar phase having an impact on spawning bass, I think that 
it's not like a it's not like they need that lunar phase to cause them to spawn like i think that if uh if the conditions are on the verge like let's say the water temps like 57 58 it's like not quite where it needs to be and those fish are itching to get up there and then there happens to be a full moon i think that might push that might cause a bunch of them to want to go up there but i don't think it's necessary like yeah. like what we saw um obviously there was no full moon but that water temperature was getting up into that 60 degree range so they're not going to sit around and wait for a full moon to get up there they know you know they're ready to go so i think it can help push fish push fish up to spawn but i don't think it's necessary and and then as far as like the how the lunar phase affects um how the fish are actually biting i'm really not a believer in that at all i think sometimes uh we overcomplicate things and i think that sometimes we think there's a connection to something that's not actually there. I think like it's one of those scenarios where there's something else that caused those fish to bite. And it just so randomly happened to line up with the lunar phase that people are like, Oh my God, it's the lunar phase. But like, I've had buddies that will, you know, come out to me and try to tell me like, Oh, today the fish are going to bite because of this lunar phase. And then we don't catch shit. And then the next day, Oh, the lunar phase is supposed to be uh, terrible today. And we, and we catch them good. I think there's many other factors that are, way more important i think people are just creating this you know thing off that actually happens to be random or com or completely unrelated to the lunar phase and just randomly happen to uh, line up with it you know what i mean yeah i agree and, and that's what i say it has little to no uh, relevance to it and you know what we can both agree is that it's overstated let's yeah, just say I yeah, and I, I think I don't. I mean, I don't think there's really that many people out there in today's day and age that are like studying the lunar phase and and you know planning their fishing trips around it. But yeah, go whenever you can go. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> I am not. not gonna waste an opportunity to say I want to go fishing, but the lunar phase is gonna yeah. suck, so I'm not going. I'm I'm gonna if I got a chance to go, I go. <laughs> I'm yeah, not gonna exactly. wait. What happens if the day that you know you have a great lunar phase happens to have thunderstorms? Yeah, and then you can't go. So there you go. You lost. Yeah, two I, weeks. I, I think there's other factors such as pressure changes. Like you get a little pressure front coming in. That's always a really good feeding window. Typically, um, you know, different weather conditions. Like in the pre-spawn, if you get a really hot sunny day, that's calm. That's usually going to trigger a bunch of fish to push up shallow. There's so many other factors that are way more important. Um, one one other factor I think this is kind of a random side tangent, but one other factor I think is kind of overlooked that's really important is stability in weather. I've seen it where um, you might have really crappy high pressure bluebird skies, but if you've had that weather pattern for four days in a row, usually on that fourth and fifth day, those fish are going to be biting really good because you've had that stable weather. Whereas if you have all these up and down pressure changes, low pressure, high pressure, low pressure for four days, sometimes that low pressure switch, you're not going to act, they're actually not going to bite that good because the weather's been so all over the place, it makes them uncomfortable. That's that's my opinion on something I've noticed out there. And that's, again, that's just an example of another factor that, in my opinion, is a lot more important to pay attention to as opposed to, you know, the moon phase. That's a good point. So let me ask you this. I know this is not completely related to spawning, but I want to get more information on that because that's one thing that I'm not, I don't feel comfortable talking on. Yeah, but I, now I that, have said that. I'm, I'm kind of getting <laughs> some juice out here. <laughs> but now that you mentioned it, like, Describe when we talk about low pressure and high pressure, what are we talking about exactly? Like, how does one tell, okay, other than looking at an app, how does one tell that it's like it's going to be a low pressure, high pressure day? And if you know, how does yeah. that actually affect the bass? Yeah. Um, I mean, kind of what I've always learned is that like a high pressure day is going to equate to like a, 
a, they call it like a bluebird sky day, like a sunny, hot day typically. Um, whereas like a low pressure day is going to be like a cloudier, windier type day. That's kind of how, I don't know if that's actually completely accurate or not. That's kind of how it's always been taught to me. Um, I think looking at an app is probably the best way to see it, but like usually if a storm's rolling in, usually that's low pressure that's rolling in. Whereas, uh, if it's, you know, like I said, if it's been hot and sunny for a few days, that's usually high pressure. Um, but I think looking at an app would probably be the most accurate way to, to look at it. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how it's always been described to me. Yeah, and it's interesting just because I think I learned that at Broken Bow uh, fishing the tournament this year. Like we had a morning that was like low pressure, and then kind of high pressure towards the middle, and then kind of low pressure to the end. Everybody was thinking, oh, we need to get this low pressure for the bite to turn on again. And I really don't think it turns on that quick. And again, just because it's high pressure doesn't mean that you're not going to get a bite. It just means you may have to change your approach to a lower, uh, smaller, simpler presentation Yeah, where bass is not going to be waste a lot of energy trying to get to your bait. That's really the, the nuts and bolts of it. Another yeah. thing that I wanted to touch on, because I think, we overthink it. Yeah, before we move on real go quick, ahead. I want to go back to the pressure thing. Um, again, kind of going back to my science background, but how how the pressure changes has been described to me, I can't really remember exactly where I saw this, but um, fish rely on their swim, blad swim bladders pretty heavily to, uh, you know, to navigate water to they use it's like a it's almost like a sensory organ for them. And when that pressure changes, they feel it in their swim bladder and they have to adjust their swim bladder to the pressure change. So when you have a really drastic pressure change, that's they're going to feel that. And, and a lot of times it's going to make them uncomfortable or, you know, it might cause them to feed drastically for an hour. And then all of a sudden they're going to get uncomfortable and they're going to shut down. So that goes back to, again, why I said stability in weather sometimes can actually be um, the best thing for fish to bite because the pressure has been the same for a few days. The weather has been the same. It allows that fish to equal, you know, equalize everything. They're comfortable. Um, everything feels right and it, and it causes them to get into that feeding mood. Yeah, I think that, and that's the key. I think a lot of times it's not, yeah, it does affect like, like we mentioned high pressure and all that, but I think the main thing is sustained. Yeah. When something is sustained, they'll adapt. They're like, okay, now I'm two or three days. Comfortable. Of this. Yeah. Like, yeah right, now I'm comfortable. Same. Yeah. I can get yeah, into my I'm feeding not, habits. Yeah, I'm not uncomfortable anymore. I'm, I'm willing to go out and, and watch the sinker real quick. <laughs> yeah. So another thing that I wanted to touch on, and this is sometimes we overcomplicate this so much. And, and one thing I've learned over the last few seasons of, you know, targeting bass on spawning, on bedding fish, the only thing you need, man, and, and, and I'll say this to anybody that's listening, get a pack of Senkos yep. or something cheaper. <laughs> that's the other thing. I'm, I'm going to go on a rabbit hole over here. I, I was stocking up <laughs> for my tournament at, at Cairo. Ah, damn, the, the, the Yamamoto singles are like eight, like almost nine dollars. And then you see yeah, the man. Yum Dingers at <laughs> two ninety nine, And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> for a pack, for four packs of Yum Dingers, it's a pack of like, like, what am I doing? I know it has a little, I think the quantity in the pack is a little bit smaller. But still, it's like, seriously, I was talking to the cashier and he was telling me like, oh, no, I... For practice, I'll throw the Yum Dinger, and for the tournaments, throws the Senko. And I was like, the bass doesn't know if it's a Senko or Yum Dinger. <laughs> but, I mean, maybe there's something new. But, honestly, man, they are way overpriced. So, we yeah. went 
we went to Fairfield, and this is what I'm going back to my subject here. The only thing you need is a Senko, man. And 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 I would say my advice: use a four-inch Senko. Stop using the sinking Senko. My experience with that is uh, the bass are not, if they're bedding, they're not going to necessarily eat it. They're just going to grab it and dump it out of their bed. So you want your hook to, you know, get like 50% of that bed uh, bait, you know. So that's why I started using a three-odd hook, I think, on a four-inch Senko where, you know, where the hook really, you know, three-quarters of the is you know the end of that hook is like three quarters into that bait so yeah. even if they can they must catch it like really right in the tip for me not able to set that hook and we tried different things and i was like i go back to this man if you're bed fishing just throw a weightless single four inch weightless yeah. single three odd hook that's all you need nothing is gonna work better than that yeah that's- not to say they won't bite anything else but it's really What's your favorite bait for bed fishing? Let me ask you. Yeah, I, I agree with you. First off, I think you're right. I think if uh, if you're a beginner and you want to go bed fish, I think get yourself a weightless Senko, four inch Senko is, is perfect. Get a bright color so you can see it pretty good yeah. and uh, and go to work. But I was being really stubborn that morning because I was throwing the bigger Senko, the five inch, and I had a weight on it because that's what I was catching on the day before. But they were a lot more aggressive the day before where yeah. first flip they'd bite it. This day they were more pressured and I wasn't getting bit hardly at all, whereas Armando was coming up behind me on the same beds, throwing that weightless four-inch Senko, and they'd bite it instantly. And I, you can ask Armando about it, but he was loving it. <laughs> he was loving every second of it. <laughs> I, and there was a point where I was like, uh, this is my last day on Caleb's boat. There is no way Caleb is going to ever invite me on his boat again. And for those that are watching or listening, we'll give you the story. So we're into bed fishing. Obviously, it's Caleb. It's Caleb's boat. So he's going to, you know, he has the lion's share of the spots, right? I'm just flipping behind it. You know, I'll try to cast into some other spot so I won't be fishing behind it. But, you know, when you see all these beds and all this bass and he's not catching them, I'm like, okay, I'm, I, I'm just going to fish behind him. And he kept throwing, you kept changing baits and throwing different things. And I just kept throwing that foreign Senko and I kept hooking into them, hooking into them. And I was like, don't say anything. Don't <laughs> troll him. Don't say anything. And about the fourth one, but now I got four and Caleb has like zero. I, I, I think like, I lost okay. one. Yeah, I was <laughs> I like, okay, I, I got to troll him now. I got to <laughs> troll him now and just bite the bullet. Temptation is too much. Just understand that this is the last time I'm going to Caleb's <laughs> How, and I have to ask you now, like, you can be honest. How frustrating was it for you to watch me just pick apart this bed that you were trying so hard and couldn't get a bite? And here I am just picking them apart right behind you. Did that frustrate you at all? Honestly, <laughs> it, it really wasn't frustrating at all for me. Like, I'm a really competitive person. So the competitive aspect of it, like, yeah, I was like, man, he's smoking me right now. From the back. <laughs> that, that part of it bothered me. But it didn't frustrate me because my whole thing is I always like to learn. Every time I'm on the water, when I'm not in a tournament, like if I was in a tournament yeah, and you were my co-angler, by the second one you hooked, you you better believe I would have had a four-inch weightless Senko on <laughs> <laughs> because I'm not going to get, you know, I'm going to adapt, obviously. And that's one of the most important things about when you're tournament fishing or fishing in general is you can't live in the past. So what I was doing and what was wrong was I kept forth, trying to force what happened the day before. Where, whereas if I really wanted to catch them, I had to adapt and change to the conditions that were presented to me. 
But again, like I was saying, I'm the type of person where I'm always trying to learn something. So yeah. rather than just copy what you're doing, and, and yes, I knew I would actually catch more fish by doing that. I was like, you know what, I'm going to keep doing this and let's just like treat this like a study. Like, is am I am I actually going to be able to get any of these fish like this? Or he's he really going to outfish me, you know, four to one in this scenario. And obviously it, you've had proof that you caught a lot more than me. But right there, I learned something. I learned yeah. that. Um, next, if I'm ever in a tournament scenario like that, where the, the bed fish are pressured, don't be stubborn. Don't try to force feed them what was happening in practice. Just throwing that little weightless Sanko or even, I'm sure even a Ned rig or something like that would have yeah. worked really well. I did try a drop shot, a drop shot at one point, And I know that would have worked, but it was too hard for me to get the right cast because of the weeds. And I was too lazy to tie a Texas rig one on where it kept being snagged. So I got pretty frustrated with that pretty quickly. But uh, going back to what you had initially asked me, what my favorite you know bed bait is, uh, I agree with you. I think a Senko is one of the best, but it also depends if you're talking smallmouth or largemouth. Um, yeah. if, I'm, if I'm fishing for smallmouth, a drop smallmouth, are, I mean, they're easy to catch off bed. It's almost like not even fair. Uh, drop shot works really well for a smallmouth on a bed. Usually they're going to be deeper. That's part of why a drop shot works better. Um, a Ned Rig is also my, one of my go-tos. Bright colors, I think, are important so you can see them. Um, one thing I'll say about bed fishing is once you see that fish, it sees you. Um, so th at that yeah. point, unless it's a super fresh, super unpressured fish or a smallmouth, smallmouth, that's completely different. They're going to bite no matter what. They just get so pissed. If it's a largemouth and it sees you, probably not going to bite unless you really finesse it. So again, try that weightless Sanko or back off. And this is where, you know, I haven't done it a ton. It's something I'm trying to learn how to do. I see a lot of guys do it where they'll use just a white crawl, a white crawl on a I've done that, yeah. cactus rig hook with a bullet weight because you can see it really well. And it's just something that's going to be digging in their eggs and it's just going to get them riled up. So basically if, uh, if that fish already sees you at that point, they're not going to bite first flip. You have to get that fish really, really pissed off in order to get to bite. So there's, you know, a few different ways you can do that, such as uh, knocking it with your line, just repeatedly make every bed has a sweet spot is another thing I've learned. Like there's that one little spot where most of the eggs are sitting. And if you repeatedly keep hitting that sweet spot, the fish is going to give you signs that it's starting to get annoyed. It's going to start doing fast circles. It's going to start flaring its, its gills. And it, eventually it's, it's going to get so mad. It's just going to have to bite basically. And it could take hours sometimes, especially on a big one. Every fish is different. You know, some some fish are more locked in the bed than others, and those are always the easiest ones yep. to catch. But kind of went on a little bit of a tangent there, but yeah. No, that's good. Uh, yeah, I I noticed I guess, that. I guess, yeah, Senkos are, are my favorite. Yeah, and, and going back to what you said, I learned this from Dustin Black. Dustin Black is a guy fishing um, in uh, Lake Fork. He actually built my kayak trailer. And we went pre-fishing. No, pre-fishing. We went spawning last year or you know I what am I saying we went fishing for spawning bass when last spawning. year <laughs> that sounded horrible but we <laughs> that, did, that really sounded horrible anyways we went fishing for spawning or bedding bass and we couldn't get into bite they were high pressured we went to a went to Lake Fork and then we went to a lovely lake I can't remember the name of it. it's a small lake I think it's something like Hubbard it's not Ray Hubbard it's another name but anyways small lake we can see them but they were really exposed so i'm sure everybody and their mother had come in and you know and and you know fish those spawning bass but one thing he taught me is like it's like to piss him off he was like just piss him off i'm like what are you talking about dustin like i'm trying he's not what do you mean and he would you know tie in a little heavier weight and he just 
throwing in there smacking on his face yeah. with it, which is kind of <laughs> cruel and he would also put it on the middle and what he would do is when the bass is nosing them if it's not biting he would you know lift that rod tip and hit the bass with the bullet weight and then the bass you see them they flare up yeah. they're super mad I you and I, I would see them because it was crystal clear water and it was so funny to watch this bass just completely pissed off, just like very aggressive swimming towards it and not biting it and just flaring their gills until eventually they're like, they can't take it anymore. Yeah. They're stressed out and they would eventually bite the the, the lure. But it, it's funny. I've never seen that before. And I learned that from him to like, if it doesn't, if it, if it's staying on the bed, but it's not biting it. Just keep throwing out there until you piss him off. Just hit him yeah. with it. <laughs> just, and I was like, <laughs> it's kind of cruel, but I but it does work. And yeah, one thing sure. that you mentioned, and I've seen that too, I actually got a reel on that on Instagram. We were trying to get this bass and it wouldn't bite, wouldn't bite. Finally, we, I I threw in on a spinning setup a weightless um, rage menace, white rage menace. So it's kind of like a white craw. And as soon as that got in, immediately smoked it i set the hook lost it next cast i flipped it in again and it did not hesitate there was something about that white wage tail crimitation that it did not like it on the bed so even though i still yeah. think senkos are the goats when it comes to spawning bass that for whatever reason they really did not like that rage tail menace especially yeah. the, the white one they just just not like it I like uh I like a jig too is the other is one of my other favorite yeah. baits for spawning bass especially on a lake that has a lot of bluegill around. Um, a swim jig can be extremely effective around the spawn, especially when you're trying to make long casts to where you can't actually see the bed. You're just trying to fish for spawning fish. I've had a lot of instances where a, a swim jig works really well because it just looks like a bluegill that's coming near the bed. Yeah. And usually, if that bass can't see you, they're actually going to be pretty aggressive and they're going to bite what you throw at them. So it's just a really effective way to cover water and fish for spawning fish you can't see. And then at the same time, if you become within range of one that you that you can see, you can flip that swim jig to the bed. And usually that works pretty well for uh, getting reaction out of them. Yeah. I, I want to share another little nugget that I found out that I learned last year. But before we do that, we're almost to the end of the show. I know there's a lot of people, there's a few people connected on YouTube and Facebook. If you have any questions about spawning, and that you want to ask Caleb and or I, feel free to put it on the comment section. And let me make sure I'm looking at the comments here. Um, and then feel free to ask the questions and we'll post your question and have Caleb answer it if we can answer it. But one thing that I learned also when we were targeting this um, spawning bass that we just did not want to bite, for whatever reason, it came to my head that I would throw in a jointed swim mate, that Mike Buka. And th this was a lake that was not really a lot of shad. I think their main forage was bluegill. So I had this uh, my buka jointed swim bait uh, bluegill pattern. And I flipped it just like it was a jig. And then immediately both the female and the male bass attacked it. And to me, that is, speaks to like, okay, they're used to now maybe five people before us for the last couple of days have been throwing jigs, senkos, whatever, but nobody thought about throwing a, a blue pattern, uh, a bluegill pattern swim bait. And it wasn't a big one. And immediately they just, 
they went berserk on it. It it only took like two seconds on the water for that scene to bite. And again, I got the reel on Instagram on that one. But that's another thing. It's like thinking, thinking, I'm sorry, outside the box. And when you say outside the box, again, if Senko's not working, if the traditional baits are not working, what else can you throw that's completely different? And my thought was like, you know, this place is full of bluegill and bluegill would will feed on unattended uh, bass eggs and fry. They will definitely. So my thought was if they see a bluegill next to their nest, they're going to attack it because they're going to think, oh, they're coming for our eggs. There's yeah. no way they don't attack it. If they don't attack it, they're bad parents. Yeah. Uh, bass, <laughs> so it, especially largemouth cannot stand bluegill during this point. Yeah. So that's another. Now it's a lot harder um, to cast like something with a treble hook, especially when it's protected by grass. But that thing, as soon as it hit the water, it it, it didn't get like one inch below the surface before they annihilated. It was almost like hitting top water. Yeah. But uh, Caleb, again, thank you so much for uh, taking the time. Um, I'm glad you survived the storms, man. You you were. This is your first Texas real thunderstorm. I mean, this is my second one. Oh, your second one? one? There was one back in November when I first moved here. That there's some there's some tornadoes that that were pretty close on that one. But I think this one was a little bit worse, maybe as far as the storm itself. But we didn't get any tornadoes that that ended up touching down near me. But yeah, I survived, man. My my camper's (laughs) still here. Didn't get swept away in the wind. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny because we you and I talking for those that are watching or listening, just like an. Like from six to six thirty, we're expected to be hit bad, like eighty mile per hour winds. And Caleb, you call me, it's like, are we still doing the live show? I'm like, <laughs> like it's it's Texas. It'll come and go in 15, 20, 30 minutes, as long as it doesn't take out electricity and um, the internet service. And thankfully, it didn't. But it was just like that. It was just like, yeah, thirty minutes of sure but, terror. Then all of a sudden, we're back to beautiful evening cool evening but uh yeah, thank I, you so much i'm glad you survived i think you people, and <laughs> i think people in texas were more worried about than i was because i had a couple of people down here that lived down here that called me like you're right man you're really gonna sit in your camper during this i'm like bro like it's not that big a deal i'll be fine <laughs> no and i forgot you lived in a camper so when you called me it's like yeah no it's me you know i get it you're not from texas you don't understand but i was like oh no wait you live in a camper so you might have to and that's why I told you, no, dude, if you need to get out of there, get yeah. out of there. I completely forgot that you lived in a camper where we're talking about it. And I was like, I am coming like so unsensitive, like a jerk right now. Like, I don't care about <laughs> Caleb. And it's just that I forgot he lives on a camper, which is nah, not they, where you want to be on a... Worst, like absolute worst case scenario, they do have a storm shelter at this campground I'm staying at. But I didn't, I don't know. I wasn't too worried about it. I was watching, just making sure. If I saw a tornado that was within five miles of me or something, like you better believe... I'd be in that storm shelter, but it uh, nothing ended up happening, so we were all good. So, Caleb, before I let you go, I do have to – I do love asking this kind of, like, random fun questions, and I wanted to do this. It's going to be word association. So I'll give you – in relation to fishing, you know, think about fishing. I'll give you a word, and you tell me the first thing that comes into your mind. Okay, real quick before we do it, yeah. I just want to give a plug – uh, oh yeah go ahead real quick for my i have a youtube channel as well probably oh, yeah. done at the beginning but ck fishing i've been posting a ton of videos on it been keeping up with weekly uploads putting out a lot of uh, texas content and some new york content as well a lot of straight up fishing is what i've been posting lately but i have some really cool stuff planned out for the next few weeks uh, a couple like different lake breakdowns and how to's that are coming so got some really cool content i'm gonna be putting up there definitely check me out ck fishing subscribe if you haven't already and stay tuned for 
some dope stuff coming your way. Yeah, we got the last two days at Furfield before they close, and that's yeah, a banger that's video. Be, that's gonna be a dude seven pounder on film. That's yeah, gonna we be, got two. Right? Yeah, and then you got yeah you got your six and a half on film too. So that's that's gonna be pretty sick. Yeah, so go go subscribe. Seek what's the handle again on it? CK Fishing. And what other than YouTube, where can people follow you? Uh, I got a Instagram, Caleb Conrad Fishing, and Facebook as well, Caleb Conrad Fishing. I think I'm gonna get begin on TikTok here soon. I've been I've oh, yeah. been thinking about it for a while, and and I think I gotta stop being a boomer and, and adjust to the uh, the next gen. Dude, so, the the thing about TikTok is I don't know what is it about the reels, but it is it is just so addicting. <laughs> like I'll spend to like I'll give you a funny anecdote on this. So my wife was getting her nails done, and I'm looking at the weather. I'm like, man, she's not home, and this thunderstorm's about to hit. So let me you know let me call her. So I grab my phone and I get a TikTok notification. 30 minutes later, I'm still watching TikTok <laughs> reels and I never called her to tell her, hey, you need to get home. <laughs> it's about a thunderstorm's about to hit us. So it would have been kind of not funny if she if she would have been swept away by a tornado all because I went to the TikTok rabbit hole when I picked up my phone to call her and tell her to That's come home. That's pretty funny. That's pretty funny. It is, but anyway, it is funny because nothing happened. But anyways, yeah. <laughs> all right. First word, overrated. What comes to mind? Overrated. Oh, wow, I'm trying to, that's a good one. I'm trying to think. Overrated. I know I came strong from the get go. Yeah, that was that was tough. Um, what's overrated? Um, paying attention to the moon cycle. <laughs> there we go. It goes full circle. That's what I Sorry, said. Right it took me a while. I, I know I'm supposed to say the first thing that comes to mind, but I, we're live, so I got to keep it up. Uh, you know. <laughs> so, um, goat. Currently, I'm going to have to say Jacob Wheeler, honestly. I know I'm going to get some hate for that, but. Hey, it's your opinion. It's your opinion. First words come to mind. No judgment here. Um, bladed jigs, bladed jigs, uh, jackhammer, <laughs> uh, smallmouth bass, smallmouth Disneyland, taku, taku time, <laughs> <laughs> um, Ray Roberts. Well, that's two words, but you uh, grind that place is freaking brutal. <laughs> um, underrated, underrated. Martin Villa, that dude's a hammer. That dude's an absolute hammer. He's probably he's probably the he might be the goat right now, and people don't even know about it. There you go. Um, man, what's another one I can think of? Ned Riggs, smallmouth destroyers, man. <laughs> I mean, that's one of my favorite smallmouth baits. Uh, Douglas, phenomenal rods. Some of the, probably the best. Yeah, definitely the best rods I've ever used. Fred Cantali, he's a he's a freaking magician, man. He's a mastermind. Yeah, I'll leave it. I'll end it with that one. But I do want to take a note on this because I people, you know, uh, sometimes ask me like Douglas Rod, they're my sponsors. Do I really write the, like the rods? And, and I get it. You know, a lot of, you know, content creators, you know, you have to pick and choose. And, you know, sometimes you have to make decisions on who's going to be your sponsor and all that. What I can say about Douglas Rod, and I'm never going to be that type of uh, content creator sponsor or not, that it's going to tell you, like, minimize 
your fishing ability if you knew if not using this rod kind of thing you know like i hear a lot this is the best rods in the world or if you're not if you're not serious about fishing if you're not using this rod it's kind of or x um, or x product i think that's disrespectful i think rods reels it's what you're confident in um I can't say that Douglas is the best rods in the world because I don't know how other rods were been built. But I can say this, and Caleb, you can back me up on this. We both, you and I, have met Fred Contai. Fred Contai designs the rod. We know why, and one of the reasons why I love this Douglas rods is because I know Fred Contai. I don't know who the rod designer for G. Lomas is. I don't know who the rod designer for St. Croix is. They could be great at what they're doing. But I know Fred Contai, and I know how stingy he is with quality i know what a perfectionist he is i know how much work and love he puts in designing every specific rod for every specific scenario and knowing that gives me complete confidence whether i'm sponsored by them or not that i would be using douglas rods maybe until the day Fred contai leaves if Fred contai yeah. says hey i'm retiring i'm not doing it maybe I'll, I'll try something different. But as long as he's there, just knowing what I know about him and having a, a, a relationship with him, you know, being friends and knowing what he's all about and how much thought he, and he puts into this process just gives me a complete confidence that I know I have some of the best rods in the world. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're truly phenomenal rods. And, uh, yeah, I used to – I obviously used to work for them. I worked for about a year and a half doing sales for them and got to see all the ins and outs of everything, how they're made. You know, Fred's a good buddy of mine, Kevin Johnson, some really great people at Douglas. And uh, like you said, I mean, the attention that Fred puts on these things, he's I – mean, he blows my mind with the way – he's like a mad scientist, truly. That's what I call him here, yeah. And he, he designs these rods, every single one from the ground up. And, like, when I was reeling in that seven-pounder, not the, not the one I caught at Fairfield, but the one I caught at – Ray Roberts a few weeks ago it was on a crankbait man on the on the light like a medium a moderate fast rod on 10 pound line and I had the utmost confidence in my rod that if I just took my time and let the rod play the fish I was going to get that fish in the boat I mean it's having confidence in your gear is huge especially when you're a serious fisherman or a tournament fisherman and Douglas rods definitely does that for me so yeah no complaints whatsoever I love them there you go so go check them out for those out there listening or watching, just remember if you're listening on an MP3 format, we do appreciate it if you leave us your five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, um, Spotify, Amazon Music, or whatever podcast platform or streaming service you use. If you're going to be on the water, I always tell this, and I'm sure some of you are sick of me saying this, please wear your PFDs. If you're going to be on the water, have a couple of beers, please drink responsibly. <laughs> make sure you get make it home back safe. So thank you for tuning in. Remember, the Advanced Kayak Angler every Wednesday morning. We have a great episode coming on next Wednesday, so come check it out. Yeah, for those that are going to be fishing the Caddo tournament at the Hobie BOS, good luck and to everyone. Stay safe. Also, the Gundersville Bassmaster Kayak Series Trail. Good luck to everybody fishing it. I hope everybody stays safe. Have a great day, everyone. Peace out.